right, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 18. We are uh, picking things up kind of midway through this, <clears throat> this section. There's been a continual thread that's been running through these verses thus far, and it's everyone's favorite subject of sin. Uh, not, not really, but it's, you know, we're talking about how God views sin and, um, and how he wants us to deal with it. Sin is one of those things that I think is a, is a much bigger problem than, than people think it is. It separates us from God, who is holy. Um, it, it breaks, well, it's what broke creation, God's good creation in the beginning, and it continues to break things today. We, we, you can almost point everything back that's wrong in the world, in our relationships, and in, in our homes and families and society, you know, to, to the problem of sin. Sin always leads towards destruction and death. And we're living in a time when, when people want to believe that, that there is no right or wrong, there is no good or bad, that sin's not a big deal. Now, sin is actually being embraced and not dealt with today. So God's word clearly tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of our sin is, is death. So whether you're willing to acknowledge it or not, sin is the greatest problem we have. Perfect holiness is the mark or, or the, you know, the, the, you know the, the deal we must hit in order to enter into God's presence and into heaven. And none of us come close to hitting that mark. Uh, God even narrows down the target. In the New Testament, we see him say, hey, just love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and, and you'll be doing good. And, and we, we, can't even, we can't even do that. I mean, just simply do that with absolute consistency from birth to death. You know, we, we can't do that. If you were to, it's like, remember those when they have on the work sites, you know, how many, how many days since the last accident? If you were to, you know, put that in my life, how many days since Brent's last sin? I mean, one day would be a pretty good record to hit for me, unfortunately. I haven't even mentioned the, the problem of original sin, but that, that all points us to the fact that sin is a much bigger thing than we think it is. And, and the dilemma that we face is much greater than we think it is. But here's the good news. This is where Jesus rides in on the white horse to save the day. Uh, we have a remedy. We have an answer for our sin. He came to seek and save the lost. He does that by going to the cross on our behalf, paying the penalty for our sin, and then crediting us with his righteousness. This is a crazy thing that God has done for sinners. Jesus willingly did that for us. He willingly goes to the cross and offers us salvation as a free gift that we receive by faith. And if you've received that gift, you understand what it took. You understand the price that was paid to give that to you. And, and that means that your attitude towards sin should now be hatred. It was my sin that nailed him to that cross, that, that put him there, that, it, that he suffered and died for. And so, as a, you know, it's a question. Do you hate your sin? I'm looking forward to the day when it is just no longer a reality or even a possibility for me. But unfortunately, at present, it, it still is. So we see that Jesus, by going to the cross, has saved us from the penalty of sin. He is saving us from the power of sin, and eventually we will be saved from the presence of sin. And I can't wait for that, that, you know, that happens, but until that day comes, we're in a battle. And unfortunately, we see people that we love and care about in that battle not winning, not succeeding. Um, we're seeing people who are deconstructing their faith or de-churching is what they're calling it now, ex-evangelicals. Ex you know, there's all these weird terms that we're hearing right now, uh, and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. There are people that are walking away from the church, that are walking away from the faith, and, and it's just heartbreaking to see people moving away from God. 
So in our passage this morning, this is one that I pray will give you hope in your battle and that will also give you hope for those that you love that you see that aren't winning this battle right now. Matthew 18.10 is is where we're going to start. And Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains to go in search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Now, I don't know what Bible version you guys read, but some of you went, you skipped verse 11. Uh, it's not in more of the, the modern translations that, are, that use the, the most ancient texts. Um, verse 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So if that's in your version, it was taken from the, the more numerous manuscripts that are a little bit older, and the, the earlier manuscripts don't include it. It doesn't change anything. This is a verse in the Bible. It's actually Luke. Um, my guess, and again, this is my guess, is that as people were copying the, from the older manuscripts, somebody went, oh, this is, this is where Jesus came to save and send the lost. And you know how we write little things in the margin of our Bible? And somebody did that, and then somebody went, oh, that fits here, and stuck it in there. And it doesn't change anything. It's true. It's good. Um, but that's what's going on there. So, uh, so what we have here is in, in the previous section, verse 6, Jesus talked about those who cause one of these little ones, as he calls them, who believe in him to sin. And he says it would be better if they had a millstone tied around their neck and were thrown into the depths of the sea. That's a terrifying thing to think about, but this shows you how serious sin is to God. And then he goes on to acknowledge in verse 8 that the world is like an obstacle course, just full of things that can trip us up as believers. And so we need to be vigilant to not get tripped up. And then in our section today, he starts with this warning not to despise any of these little ones who do get tripped up by sin. So who are these little ones? Well, David and Chad already kind of covered this when they went through their sections, but we know it could definitely refer, be referring to a child. When Jesus started this conversation, when they said, who is the greatest, he brings a child up and says, you need to become like one of these if you want to become you know, somebody that, that gets into the kingdom of heaven. So could be talking about a child. It could be referring to a new or, sorry, uh, yeah, a new or immature believer. Or it could just in general be referring to spiritual children, uh, which would include anyone who comes to God for salvation. And I think this fits well because in order to come to God, uh, we come in complete humility and in complete dependence, just like a child would come to his parents when he had the need. Um, So he starts out with this exhortation not to despise one of these little ones. So the idea is, if you can imagine this, there might be some Christians who look down on another Christian for doing something that they consider to be sinful or wrong or, you know, this kind of thing happens all the time. They kind of have disgust and the superior attitude when they see somebody else doing something that they they think is is sinful. We sometimes have a difficult time as Christians differentiating between hating sin and and hating those who sin. And it's easy for us in our disgust to despise people or to write them off. And when I begin to think that way, what I have to do really quickly is remind myself that my Savior could have done that to me. He could have been disgusted with me and written me off, and he still can, but he doesn't. And if he won't do that with me, how dare I do it to somebody else, right? So we need to be full of grace and full of hopeful compassion for those who are overcome by sin, and thank God that we're not the ones in that position, because apart from his grace, we could be, right? 
So we see God's amazing attention and care for his little ones who falter as we read the rest of verse 10, which is a weird verse. Right after he says, don't despise them, he says, for I tell you in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. And this is where I wish the disciples would pull Jesus aside and say, what was that last part again? Tell me more about this, but they don't. They don't ask him and he doesn't explain it. So uh, I asked David and Chad, like, hey, guys, what, what about this verse? And they're like, good luck with that. And that was, the, that was the help I got from my fellow pastors. These little ones, Christians, have angels in heaven who always see the face of God. Now, in case you were wondering, this is exactly where people get the idea of guardian angels, right? And this is the idea that every person, or really more specifically, every believer has a personal angel assigned to them to watch over and protect them. I think we've all heard this concept. Some of you probably require more than one, quite frankly. I'm not, you know, don't, don't, don't look around the room, but you know who you are. <laughs> I can just picture the angels going, come on, God, can't you give me somebody easier than that person? It's like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll team up, you know. But, um, so is this what this passage is clearly teaching? And I would say not exactly. At least not that we each get assigned our own personal angel. Uh, We're told that the angels, first off, are in heaven looking at the face of God. So that tells us where they are. Uh, They aren't looking at at us, but God is. And and this is kind of better. We we, we may not have a guardian angel, but we have a guardian God. We have a God who's watching us, and and he's aware of what we're going through. Angels are not all-knowing, and they're not, they can't be everywhere at once. They're not omnipresent, but God is. So what we do find in the Bible are angels who are assigned to specific areas or regions, nations even sometimes, that type, that type of thing. So this means they can keep track of a lot of people at once, um, but they can only be in one place at a time. So one commentator said if you're a football person, this is like zone defense as opposed to man-to-man defense. Um, that's why they're all looking at the one who knows all and sees all, including everything that happens to you and me. They're watching him. So it's like the angels are watching the face of God who is watching us. And if there comes a time when one of his little ones has a need, God gives a nod to dispatch an angel to assist. And it's kind of crazy to think about, right? Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. That's us. So they serve us. They are ministering spirits. And Hebrews 13 goes on to tell us that we could have an encounter with an angel without even knowing it. So you picture like Abraham, you know, hey, I'll make you guys a meal. And, you know, this, this kind of, we don't know, but it's possible. So why does God have ministering agents for Christians here on earth? Why does an all-powerful God use them? Surely he could accomplish all he wants to without them, right? And I have no idea. <laughs> But I can imagine the angels asking the exact same question to God about us. Why do you use those people? Why do you use them to spread your fame and make your gospel known? You don't need them. You could do this without them. It's true. And yet, I don't know why he uses us or them, but he does. And, and, you know, we get the privilege of serving the Most High God. Pretty amazing to think about. So we may not have our own personal guardian angel assigned to us, but here's the bottom line. With everything going on in your life and everything that goes on in the world, how cool is it to think that God has assigned like angelic priority to you, right? He's, he cares about you so much that the angels, there's, an, there's an angel in heaven right now looking at the face of God and, and ready to respond and come to our aid if God deems it necessary. 
That's amazing. That tells me that every child of God has great value and is extremely precious to God. And so the reason Jesus brings up these ministering angels is to let us know that those who fall into sin shouldn't be despised. God sees them. God cares about them. He's aware of what's going on, and it matters. And if he cares about them, we should too, right? And this launches Jesus into a parable to further make his point. Now, it's worth noting that Jesus repeats this parable or a very similar one in Luke 15, although in that instance, he's, he's talking to a group of religious leaders, Pharisees and scribes, who can't believe that Jesus receives and eats with sinners. So that's kind of the context there. But the same idea applies. Don't despise those who have lost their way because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Luke 15, I'm going to read this so you can kind of see the comparison. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." Okay, so let's kind of try to define the players within the parable. Uh, Who is the shepherd? Jesus. When in doubt, Jesus is always the right answer, right? Uh, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. The Bible calls him the chief shepherd. We know that he has under shepherds, pastors who are also called to watch over the flock. And, 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 you know, that's really a thing. But Jesus absolutely makes the most sense here. Uh, How about the 99? Uh, There's different ideas here. I believe the 99 are believers who are currently following Jesus. They're part of the the flock that's under the shepherd's care. So I would view this as those we see on a regular basis within the church. You know, the known believers, part of the family of God. Who is the one that is lost? Well, this is any believer that goes AWOL, right? Uh, They've strayed off. They wandered off. We don't know where they are. We haven't seen them in a while. And this could be any Christian at, at any given time. I, you know, it seems like we take turns being the one sometimes, right? I got it this month, you know, okay, I'll take it next month. I don't, I don't know how that works, but um, that's the one. Well, the other question would be, why sheep? If you know your Bibles, you know that sheep is the animal that, that uh, God's people are compared to most often, right? The Lord is our shepherd, and we are the sheep of his pasture. Why sheep, though? Um, why not something more impressive, <laughs> You don't see football teams using sheep, you know, as, the, as they're on, their, on the side of their helmet. It doesn't strike fear into the opponent, although I will say Oregon's not doing much better with, with ducks and beavers, but at least they can be aggressive, right? It's probably too soon for some of you. I'm sorry. Don't mean to bring up a sore subject. If you've ever done any research on sheep, you'll quickly realize that this comparison is not a compliment. <laughs> uh, sheep are not an impressive animal, uh, People today even use the term sheep in a derogatory way to describe those that they don't respect much. Um, it's used to put down those who are just blindly following the masses without thinking about the destination. But that's what sheep are like, right? I read a story in Turkey. This is kind of disturbing. But like in 2005, the shepherds went to have lunch and they were near a cliff. And one sheep went over the, the cliff and then 1,500 the whole flock just followed. The good news was that the first ones are, you know, they, they did perish, but they created a pillowy landing for the rest of them. So it's not as tragic as it could have been. Sorry, there's an image for you. 
wasn't in the notes. Stick to the notes. Sorry. Um, this is why sheep need a good shepherd. This is exactly why they need somebody to care for them because the sheep are not very smart. They're very needy animals. They re- require constant care and supervision. If a sheep actually g- somehow gets on their back, they call that being cast or being cast down, um, they can't get back up without help. So all they can do is just kind of lay there flailing their legs and bleeding and crying until the shepherd sees them and comes over and, and picks them up and puts them back on their feet. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> It's like, yeah, that's us. I can completely relate to that. Sheep, as the song says, are prone to wander. Even if they're kept in a perfect environment with plenty of green grass and fresh water, they will eventually wander off if they're not being looked after. And this is not good because they are completely defenseless. There's a name for a sheep without protection. It's lunch. (laughs) Nature's snack. That's what that is. Sheep are not aggressive. They, they don't have claws. They don't have teeth. They can't roar loud. They can't do anything. They, nothing to ward off the predator except for the shepherd. So staying in the safety of the flock and under the watchful eye of the shepherd is extremely important. One could make the argument that there is never a reason for a sheep to wander away from the shepherd. It's the worst thing you can do. It's the dumbest thing you can do, Right? Think about who he is. Think about who our shepherd is and what he's like. He loves us. He cares for us. He protects. He provides all of these things. Why would we why would we get away from him? Why would we seek to wander? And yet we we see it all the time. We we do it all the time. We are prone to wander. Well, what causes this? What causes us as Christians to want to stray? I put down, I think, five things, maybe six. I didn't I've got them numbered. It doesn't matter. We'll just run through them. How's that? The first one is curiosity. I picture like a young people, kids who've been raised in a Christian home all their life. They've kind of known this way. And, and uh, usually they kind of hit this crisis of faith point where their parents' faith and, and the faith that they see in the church has to become their own. They kind of have to own it. And, and they go through this, this time of testing, this time of questioning. And when you think about all the influence that the world has and, and all that they're being influenced as far as the worldviews and the opposite ideas, they need to figure out what's true. And so they go through this thing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Amish communities. They have this thing called Rumspringa where, where they, the young people take off at a certain age and they, they let them go see what, okay, here's the world. Go, you know, knock yourself out. And then if they come back, they get baptized in the church. And if they don't, they, they don't. Well, I don't think that's a good idea, but I think our kids do that to some extent. Just, you know, um, I wish there was a way for them to avoid doing this, uh, but sometimes Some people learn from watching others, and some people have to learn the hard way to do it themselves. So curiosity is one one, uh, reason that we stray. Another reason I see Christians stray is disappointment or disillusionment. There are so many reasons this can happen. You you know, um, you get mad at God because you lose someone or something you love. Or, or because life just isn't working out the way you thought it was, and and you think maybe you're getting the short end of the stick, and so you you get upset and and you walk away. And so much of this comes from really a false idea of what the Christian life is and sometimes what you think you deserve. Um, If you've been promised, like this is why I hate the prosperity gospel. Every chance I get a chance to kick it, I will because I hate it. If you've been promised a life of riches and ease and perfect health and and all this and then you don't get it, what happens? You're going to be completely disillusioned and you're going to start to look elsewhere and this happens. So Disappointment and disillusionment can also come from having a negative church experience. 
I think most of us have been hurt in the church before by other people. Uh, sometimes it's the impact from false teaching. Sometimes it's, it's the impact of seeing a, a prominent leader that you respected greatly fall and, and uh, fall into sin. And it can also come from something the church has done from, it's really to the detriment of many for many years. We, we've pretended to be perfect and holier than everybody else as opposed to just fellow sinners who've been forgiven. When Christians act that way, um, it, 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 it turns people off. You know, we say we're the, we're the good people and they're the bad people. And then, like, I remember my kids going through this and saying, well, I just met a bunch of non-Christians and they're, they're, they're kind of respectful and nice. And I see people in the church that are kind of jerks. And, and what do I do with that? And so that, that's another, you know, reason that we can get disillusioned. All of this makes it so important for us to focus on Jesus. Jesus is the rock star. He's the one that we pay attention to. He's the one we look at. He's the one we emulate. When you look at his followers, we all should represent well, but we don't. So make sure that you know, Jesus remains the focal point. So there's that aspect. There's also carelessness. Carelessness is another reason why I see people wander away. This is where people just stop prioritizing their walk with God. Their lives get busy with other more important things, uh, COVID was one of those things that gave us a, a free pass to just check out of the church and walk away. Uh, it gave us the incentive we needed to stay home. And I found that when you stop going to church and stop saturating yourself with the truth of God's word and stop being around his people and stop being accountable, uh, before you know it, you're out in the wilderness. It's just, it, it's a slippery slope, but it happens so fast. You know, the rhythms and the habits that we get used to dictate the priorities we make and they say that it takes i think 30 days to make a, a new habit so that means that the, the longer you stay in that habit and the longer you stay away from um, these things the easier it's going to get and the more numb you're going to become to it and i've seen this over and over again so i would just encourage you make christ and his church a priority don't let anything convince you that there's something more worthwhile for you to be doing sundays at the very least used to be a day when we would happily set aside, you know, this day and this time for, for worship of the Most High God and for fellowship with His people. And it's just weird to see that our society stopped making it a priority a long time ago. Businesses used to just be closed. Not anymore. Now, not, now they're open. There's, you know, they're actually like kids' sporting events compete with church now. It kind of makes me mad, but I, you know, nobody, nobody hears me when I complain, so it doesn't do any good. But, but don't let this happen, you know. Um, don't be careless and apathetic about your walk with God. Make it a priority. Make it priority number one. And the carelessness thing goes right along with the next one, which is selfishness. You know, we, we've been, this idea that our personal happiness is the greatest priority. That's priority number one, and I need to put everything else aside in pursuit of my greatest life and my greatest happiness is something that's taken root in, in many people, including many Christians. And when that happens, you end up putting Christ and his church as less important and secondary, and, and you end up, you know, kind of out in the wilderness again. So, and this one leads right to the, the next one, which I think is the, really the main reason that Christians wander off, and it's just desire to sin. Um, that's it. <laughs> I want to do what I want to do, and if I can't do it around the shepherd and his people, well, then I better go someplace where I can. So you go hide out someplace where you can do what you want to do. Um, of course, there is one other obvious possibility that we have to bring up, which is heartbreaking as well. But um, if people were here and they wandered off and strayed there's a possibility that they were never really one of us there's a possibility that if, if you don't want to be around the shepherd and the sheep that you're not actually a sheep jesus says this in john 10 but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep my sheep hear my voice 
and I know them, and they follow me. So that's a possibility, not the one we want to think about, but it is. So what's the point of this parable? What is Jesus trying to teach us? The first thing I see in this that I love is that one matters. One matters. It's hard to imagine God going on a rescue mission just to save me. Uh, I'm not exactly like, you know, a prize sheep that's going to bring, bring home a blue ribbon. One matters to him. And, and if, if I'm a shepherd, I'm thinking of it like from my standpoint, if I'm a shepherd and I've got 100 sheep and one goes missing, I'm thinking I still have 99. That's not too shabby, right? That's pretty good. Um, especially if the one that left doesn't appreciate me and doesn't give, you know, I look at all that I'm offering them and they wandered off. Well, that's their own fault then, you know, good riddance. I mean, that's the way I think. And if this were just about business, like profit and loss, or if it were um, just completely impersonal, that would make sense. But with God, it's not. There's a different motivation here. Love is a factor. You know, many of you are pet owners, um, and pet owners are a special, like, breed of people. (laughs) They love their animals. You might not understand, like, a sheep situation, but your dog goes missing, Oh, it's on, right? You're going to do whatever you've got to. And, and for me, I'm more of a, you know, I'm not, I'll just be quiet about that because I don't want to get thrown out of the church on a rail here. But, but for me, kids is the one that I think of. It's like if something goes, if one of my kids goes missing, I'm turning into Liam Neeson. I'm going to go, you know, I'm, I will find them. I will do whatever I have to do. And I don't have a special set of skills, but that's going to become, I will not think about anything else until they're found. We had a, have you ever had one of your kids go missing? We had, a, I remember one time um, we had a little, I don't, she was, pretty young, still in diapers, supposed to take a nap, and, and, and uh, she really wanted to go out and play in the snow, and we, now you got to go take a nap, and uh, we, then all of a sudden, we just couldn't find her. She wasn't in bed. We didn't know where she was. Thought, oh no, she went out in the snow. She was just wearing a diaper and like a shirt or something. We're thinking, oh my goodness, she's gone. We looked everywhere, couldn't find her. Finally called the police. Uh, they came and, and said, it's probably fine, you know, don't, don't stress out, which was good to hear, but I'm thinking my life is over and never going to be the same again, and it turns out the little runt just went into our closet, hid under some clothes, and then fell asleep there, um, but it was terrifying <laughs> to think about, right? If you're one of God's little ones, that's how he feels about you when you go missing. He will leave the 99 because you matter, The next thing we see in this parable is that God pursues his own. Psalm 103 says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I love that. God has purchased the church with his own blood. He has adopted you as kids and he has made you an heir with an inheritance. You know, we talk today, I hear parents who want to adopt today and they're like, you would not believe how much it costs to adopt. It costs God more. It cost him the price of his son. And he did that because he wanted you to be his son or daughter. That's an amazing thing. He's invested in you. And that means if you go missing, he will look for you. He will find you. And he will save you. Right? There's a song that I, when I first heard it, I got mad about it. It's called Reckless Love. Because I don't like the idea of calling our God reckless. It's like our God is, the, he's not reckless. That sounds like me, you know, like you're walking through things, just knocking things over. God's not reckless. But then I, the lyrics, I hear these lyrics and I cry almost every time I, I hear them, which is a shock for you guys, I know, because I, I never cry. But it, it talks about how God will, will, what he was willing to do to get to you, to have a relationship with you. And so he says, there is no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me. 
Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you gave yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. That just, it wrecks me when I hear it. In Ezekiel 34, 16, God says, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the straight. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. That's what our God is like. That's our shepherd. So how does God go about pursuing those who stray? Well, we already talked about the angels, which is crazy to me, but that's one way. Another way is through his Holy Spirit and then also through his people. Um, He uses his Holy Spirit to convict. If you're one of his little ones, you might, you know, you might be able to ignore God's pursuit, but you won't be able to escape it. And I love that. And that amps up when people pray. We start praying, it seems like God's Spirit starts convicting even more. And, and then he uses us. You know, not only do we get to pray for those who have gone away, but we get to join the search and rescue team. We get to be a part of that, that group. We can volunteer for that. So James five nineteen says, my brothers, if anyone of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So it's a big deal when we, when we go searching and, and, and trying to find that. If you notice somebody missing, you have a responsibility as part of the church to check in on them. That might mean shooting them a text or giving them a phone call or going to their house for like a welfare check, right? Um, let them know that they're loved that they're missed, you know, maybe make them feel a little bit guilty, not, no, not too much, but a little, just kidding, I always like, whenever I tell somebody, hey, we miss you, they always have that, like, oh, I'm sorry, and that's like, no, we miss you, I'm trying to encourage you, not make you feel bad, but, but there are times when, you know, we want to encourage them to come back, but there, there are times when we might need to lovingly confront them, too, I, I, I know that's not easy, but I appreciate the people that love me enough to confront me when I'm doing something stupid, and when I'm gone, and, and you know, sometimes all people need is a little nudge. Give them a little nudge, and they, they already know they need to come back. They know they need, they need to be here. Just give them a little nudge, and let he say it matters to us that you're here. We appreciate it. What about those that we've reached out to and prayed for, and they still haven't returned? You know, many of us have children that, that fall into this category or, or others that we love. Um, pray for them. Pray for them every, every day, and then take comfort in this fact. This next point is that Jesus always gets his man or woman. Uh, we know that Jesus came to do the will of the Father, correct? Was there ever a time when Jesus failed to accomplish the will of the Father? No. In fact, I would say that would be sin, and Jesus is without sin. He always did the will of the Father. Listen to what it says in John six thirty nine, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. John eighteen nine. Of those you gave me, I have not lost one. If one gets away, he will have failed to accomplish the will of the Father. And that is not possible. Our passage even ends today with a statement that it's the Father's will that none of these should perish. He goes on record, this is my will, Jesus. I don't want any of these to perish. I don't want you to lose one. You think Jesus is going to lose any of us? No. And that's where we come to John 10, which is one of my favorite verses. If you don't know this one, this is like a, what a verse of comfort for believers. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. His sheep will be saved. 
We might not do it, you know, we might do it the hard way, <laughs> but they will be saved. It may take some time, but it will happen. Now, here's the, here's the part that's hard. We don't always know who's a sheep and who's not, right? So even with some of my kids, I think about that. I don't know which ones are and which ones not. The ones that have walked away, are they coming back? I take great comfort in this verse found in Philippians 1.6, and it just simply says this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And that means if you've seen previous evidence of God at work in one of your kids or somebody you love, you saw his presence there, you saw his evidence, you saw, you know, then, then he's began a work and he's going to complete it. And sometimes that's all I have to hold on to, but I hold tightly to that. It may not, you know, look like he's pursuing those who have walked away and it may not look like they're coming back, but if he began a work, he will finish it. I wish that God wouldn't allow us to stray. You know, people back, they're always like big on free will. It's like, take my free will away, Lord. Just keep me from straying, please. A day is coming when it won't be a possibility and and we were finally in his kingdom. But continue to pray for those who have walked away. And and one of the amazing things is if if you've ever been in that situation where one of them comes back, um, you know, somebody in the church or whatever it is that comes back, we want to throw a party, don't we? because it's such a big deal. And this is what we see at the end of Luke's account. And when he is founded, he, he lays that, that little one, that sheep on his shoulders, rejoicing. And he comes home and he calls together his friends and his neighbors, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now I can think of many people that used to be part of our church, part of my life, that have walked away from God. And just like the prodigal son coming home, we would rejoice greatly. We'd want to throw a party if they came back more rejoicing over the one who came back than the 99 who stayed put. Sounds kind of weird, but, but it's because of what's at stake, you know? I, I, I am so grateful for the 99 that stay, right? If you're just a faithful week-in and week-out Christian that comes here, you are such an encouragement to, to us as pastors and to each other as brothers and sisters. I love that, man. I just, I love that I see the same people week after week after week. It's such a blessing. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for being just one of the boring, faithful 99. We love you, right? But, but boy, when that one comes back, I mean, such, a, such an amazing thing. God and the angels are said to rejoice as well. Heaven rejoices when that happens. You know, if you're prone to wander or you know someone that is, you need to know that you can always come home. Don't let your shame and your pride and, and all those things get in the way. Come home. You'll be received. You know, you will. Think about who our shepherd is. He will, he will receive you with open arms, just like the prodigal son and his father. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. It's our nature. But the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Do you know how fortunate we are to have God as our shepherd? I started with this passage this morning, but, but listen to it again in light of that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have no need of anything is what that means. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that good, saints? Yeah, 
Father, thank you so much that you have made us the sheep of your pasture. It's a crazy thing to think about. That you have angels that are, that are looking at your face out of, because you care about us so much and they're ready to respond and, and minister, to, minister to us if needed. Uh, you're so good, Lord, and, and we just pray, Lord, that we would not be prone to wander. Secure us, Lord. Give us grace to follow you and to stand to your care. Help us to, to love each other as a family and, and be devoted to each other within the church as well. And Lord, for those who have wandered, for those who have, have walked away or strayed, um, our heart breaks, Lord, and we want to see them come back to you. So by the power of your spirit, uh, through the angels that you send to minister and through the, the work of your saints, um, Father, please, please, please be merciful and bring them back, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.